It's 1974, and four-year-old Kenny Mintz is driving across the country with his mother, Sandra. My mom was working in Washington, D.C., and just decided to go to this magical place in the 1970s of San Diego and start a new life. It was just Kenny and his mother making the move, which was fine with the young boy because it had always been the two of them against the world. My dad at the time was somewhat a part of my life, but my mom was primarily my person. Little Kenny wasn't quite sure why they were making this long trip, but Sandra assured him it was the right path. My mom was 19 when I was born, so she's 23 years old, no college degree. She heard that she could go to California and college would be free out there. And literally just had this dream of going out there and that she would figure it out. Kenny had other things on his mind during the long trip though. My mom told me that if the door of the VW bug that we were driving in opened, I would fly away. I had this vision of me literally like flying away, like a balloon flying away. So I would hold on to my mom while she was driving because I was afraid that the door would just magically open and I would fly away. Along the way, Sandra wrote a postcard to her own parents. She basically writes out her game plan. I'm gonna go to San Diego. We're gonna stay at a cheap motel. I'm gonna find a job. I'm gonna get some money. I'll get things established. She had me a dream in a suitcase and that was it. And she made it happen. Sandra did get a job, eventually started her own company and gave Kenny a great childhood. He went on to serve for 30 plus years in the army and last year in 2022, honored both his late mother and that very early trip by replicating it on foot. Kenny decided to walk across the United States from Washington DC to Southern California, raising money for charity and meeting people of all stripes. I'm Carrie Varuhaikis, and we talk and walk with Colonel Retired Kenny Mintz on today's episode of Army Matters. Hello, everyone. I am Lieutenant General Retired Leslie C. Smith, the former Army Inspector General and I'm the Vice President for Association of United States Army for Leadership and Education. And joining me today is my good battle buddy. How are you today, Dan? Sir, I'm doing great. And I'm the 15th Sergeant Major of the Army, United States Army Retired, and I am the Vice President of NCO and Soldier Programs here at the Association of United States Army. And best of all, I get to do a podcast with my good buddy, Lieutenant General Retired Les Smith. Hey, Dan, I appreciate that, man. And today, this is Army Matters. And we're talking about walking across America with a veteran. He walked across the entire country. But before we get into that, Dan, what was the most memorable journey that you took by yourself? Just you. Wow. Probably hiking to Pikes Peak. Yeah, that's a good one. So explain to our listeners about Pikes Peak. I've been there. Yeah. What is it? Pikes Peak 
is the tallest mountain in continental United States that has full access to the road to the top. Okay. And uh, it's out there in Colorado Springs, beautiful on the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And it's got a hiking path too. It's called the Bar Trail. Right. I used to hike up it, which is like 14 miles and mm-hmm. run down. Run down. Used to run down Pikes Peak. Run down Pikes Peak. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Some people run up it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it. I've seen it. Yeah. So you did that when you were the division command sergeant major for the 4th Infantry Division. Yeah. Every weekend, I'd like to go up in the mountains and, and run. You know, if you run at altitude, when you come back down, it's a lot easier. Yeah. At least psychologically, it helped me. Yeah. That's most definitely. And I think that's also the place where we have our world-class athlete program. Yeah, it is. That really helps them with their with their training of things that they're doing. Yeah. What about you? I think for me, uh, you know, on Fort Leonard Wood, the journeys I like to take is is getting on the the Rubidoux or the Piney River and just getting in a canoe and just going up and down, fishing if I felt like doing it, but really just, they call them float trips, but it's just like, uh, I call them decompressed trips and just uh, seeing nature and, and taking the time to, to enjoy those things. Yeah. I also drove across the United States too by myself. You did? Does that count? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, you, you were by yourself. Was it memorable or was it just? Well, it was back in the day where we didn't have GPS. So I remember oh my having goodness. the Walmart Rand McNally map on my front oh, yes. seat of my pickup truck and trying oh, to yes. figure out how I'm going to get from Pennsylvania to Colorado um, without getting lost. Yeah. yeah I was still amazing? a young kid. Yeah, yeah. I was still a young kid. Mm-hmm. We, we, how dependent we are on, on a global positioning system. Uh, and we were talking about this yesterday. Something that the military developed to get us from point A to point B now is in every phone, everything, your watch. Incredible. Everything that you deal with every day. I don't know how we found Starbucks before <laughs> GPS. I don't know how you, how did we do it? I don't even know. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think know. we adapt. We adapt to the things that we, we go to. So, I've become so, so dependent on that, that yeah. I will actually pull my car over if it stops working until it tells me where to go again. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, pay- I'm and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an infantry ranger guy, 30 yeah. years navigated in the dark all over the world. And right. for some reason, it just, it just sucks you in. Yeah. It just sucks you in independence. You, you become dependent. You do. You do. Yeah. Yeah. You, you become dependent on that. Yeah. Yeah. Today's guest, Ken Mintz, probably had a GPS, but he still had to walk all across the United States. And that had to be really hard. You know, we've heard of people walking the Appalachian Trail or doing a walk for cancer or yeah. walking across a state, but this is DC, the Lincoln Memorial yeah. to California. And I guarantee he had a lot of time to think. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Mm-hmm. So you think we should go ahead and- uh, I think it's time to get our guest uh, on the show. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Kenny, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, sir. It's great to be here. It's really awesome. When I had a chance to review some of your story and some of your background, it was amazing all the things that you did and all the missions that you started to do. And then walking across the United States, man, that's that's a big deal. You know, sometimes it's tough for me to walk from <laughs> from uh, from downstairs to upstairs in the office where we work every day. <laughs> You'd be surprised what you can do if you just practice. Kenny, in the opening of the podcast. We heard that you took a, a very critical trip across the country with your mother when you were very young. Now, she also worked as a defense contractor for years. Do you think her service in the defense industry was one of the reasons why you decided to join the military? Not really. My dad had been in the Marine Corps. My grandfather was a retired 
an army officer on my dad's side. My mom had, both my grandparents had served during World War II. I was always very interested in, a, in military history, and I was always very interested in the stories of my family and their service. But what really brought me into the military life is that I grew up and played football for a high school called Fallbrook High School. And I was a pretty good high school football player. And I was the San Diego player of the week. And I got interviewed by the San Diego uh, newspaper. And they asked me, well, where are you going to college? And I was like, well, I don't really know where I'm going to go to school. I mentioned in an offhanded way during the interview that I always wanted to go to West Point, but, you know, I didn't really know how. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Wasn't even sure I really wanted to go to college. I'd always thought it would be really cool to just enlist in the Army. I always wanted to be a paratrooper, but I guess I was terrified by the whole thing because it was intimidating to me. And somebody saw that. And since I was a pretty good football player, the coaches came to see me and basically said, you know, we want you to come. And next thing you know, I'm filling out applications and getting physicals and, and I'm showing up on July 1st after I graduated high school. Now, Kenny, you're from California and then you moved to West Point, New York. That had to be a culture shock, right? You know, I was a California kid. I mean, I was a good athlete. I was a good student. I was a pretty relaxed human being. Like long hair? Yeah, I had pretty long hair. I was disciplined. But, you know, you, you go from the West Coast and literally overnight you go from this very different culture, different lifestyle, different mindset into this completely different environment. And not only is it the military environment and the West Point environment, uh, but it's also the Northeast. It's also New York. I didn't even really know where West Point was for sure. I literally, I, I just showed up. And next thing you know, it's our day, which is the first day. People are yelling at me and, you know, I'm just running around trying to figure things out. I was in shock, which is normal. And uh, a little bit uncertain about what I'd gotten myself into. You know, and never went through a winter in my life. West Point, New York is a pretty awful place in the winter. They call it, the you know, it's just everything's gray and the sky is gray and your uniform's gray and the buildings are gray and your skin starts turning gray. And so, you know, it was, it was a pretty tough initial, you know, pill to swallow. You know, I ended up, you know, making it through. Uh, and I won't say that I loved the place, but I certainly loved the, my, my classmates. And, and that was, to me, that's the strength of the place. I left that experience very confident in myself and confident in, in my ability to overcome adversity because that experience was, was very difficult. Before we transition off of that, you know, I got to satisfy the time period. We're in, we're in football season right now. Super Bowl's coming up. So how did you do on the team? I mean, you went there to play football. How'd you do? Well, I made the team my freshman, my plebe year, and I found it 
pretty challenging to keep my weight on to do well academically and to be a, a, a good football player. And I found that I just really, I needed to make a, d- a decision about how I wanted to commit myself. And I decided that I wanted to focus more on being a cadet. Yeah, I wasn't a, I wasn't a superstar army football player. Sorry to say. Kenny, that's fine. We know that you really were destined for great things. You spent over 30 years in the military, serving in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And we know those were tough times. What would you say was the toughest or the most challenging situation for you during your service? So I commanded 1st Battalion, 32nd Infantry Regiment, 132 Infantry Chosin, uh, which was part of 3rd Brigade, 10th Mountain in those days. Uh, And I was in Zari, Western Zari in Kandahar province, 2011 to 2012. It was the birthplace of Mullah Omar, and it was a spiritual place to the Taliban. And it was extremely complex, as we all know, with, you know, the enemy that we were fighting with our partners, the Afghan security forces, who were very difficult at times to work with. You also had a local population, this incredibly complex and dangerous, deadly place uh, we went into. I arrived on the battlefield with a game plan. I had trained the battalion uh, in a certain way. We attacked right from the gates, you know, just as we trained, just as we had prepared and framed the problem. And about three weeks into it, I realized that this was not gonna work. You know, we're losing people, we're, we're, we're losing soldiers and we're getting soldiers grievously wounded. And sometimes losses by themselves don't indicate that you're not doing something right. But in this particular instance, I had to make a decision and I, and I believe that I had to take a completely different approach from the one that we had trained for. And that was an amazing experience because you have to look yourself in the mirror and be honest because it's not about you. It's about the mission, your soldiers, and then you. And that means you have to be humble enough to say, what we're doing is not going to work. Even though it was my plan, even though I was the commander, even though everybody trusted me and believed in what I was saying, I need to come up with something else. And I did. And I won't get into the details of that because that would take another six hours. But we created a whole different operational framework that pacified a Taliban sanctuary. But there was some dark times leading up to that. We lost 14 uh, soldiers killed, an equal number of Afghan security forces killed, uh, triple that in wounded. So it was a hard fight. The enemy fought us for literally every inch of ground there. But I was committed to winning. And winning doesn't mean killing, but it's the whole thing of winning and and actually creating a place that the Afghans at this one tiny little place in the the country where the Afghans can stand on their own two feet and defend it and fight for it and secure it on their own. And that's 
what we created. But it was a hard, hard, gut-wrenching, dark road to get to that point. You mentioned losing soldiers, and uh, unfortunately, I suffered the same uh, during several of my tours. But can you explain to our listeners, how, how did the, the death of those soldiers affect you in the mission? It's like losing your family. Yeah. This isn't just some nameless person. You know every one of these guys and gals personally. So it's a personal thing. As a commander, all my soldiers ever saw was confidence and, hey, this is, we're going to get, we're going to figure this out. We're going to move on. We're going to get back after it. We're going to focus our minds and bodies and spirit on the next thing that we need to do to accomplish the mission. But in your heart, right, you always feel that. And I will live with that for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I'm proud of that, though, because, you know, I think that's what we as leaders should carry with us. And, and I certainly do. And, you know, that was part of why I did the walk. And I had Gold Star, you know, family members come walk with me. You know, I wanted to honor them. Yeah, absolutely. That's very noble. Now, you had mentioned, too, in the past that some of those were not combat related. You lost soldiers. Can you talk about that? I've lost a soldier to suicide during the deployment. And then I've since that deployment, we've lost more than we lost in combat to suicide, which is another just terrible aspect of life. How do you get out ahead of that? How do we prevent that from happening? How do we support one another? Perhaps as a, as a Sergeant Major of the Army or as a General Officer, it's, it's harder to have that intimate relationship. But I have a very intimate relationship with the people I serve with in combat, and, and I feel obligated to be there for them and to help in some way. You know, to be there if they just want to talk to somebody or if they want to complain or whatever, whatever the case may be, to show up to receive calls in the middle of the night. And I had a, a lot of the guys that I served with come walk with me on my walk across America. And that was part of it is we need to take action. We need to have connection. We need to take care of each other. We got through combat together as a team. We have to keep doing that even now that we're veterans and retired or whatever the case may be. So I, I've stayed active. You know, one of the causes that I walk for is called Operation Resiliency, which is part of the Independence Fund. And they do unit level reunions. And I got to participate in one of those right before I retired in June of uh, 2021 with Attack Company 132. And they invited me to, to come to their reunion as their battalion commander for that deployment. And it was amazing to see you know, here it is 10 years later to see all these young guys are now like in their early 30s, still young, but, you know, pursuing their lives. And they think about their experience in combat every single day, just like I do. So a couple of years after that very difficult deployment, you were back in Afghanistan when you got some terrible news about your mother. Can you share that with us? So I was deployed in 2014 
So we were in Bagram. We were doing train advise and assist and take all these troops and all these bases and all this material and reduce down into a very small footprint. So it was a very difficult mission. And my mom told me I had been talking to her and she'd been emailing me and saying, hey, I'm really just not feeling right. I feel feeling sick. I don't know what's wrong. I keep going to the doctor. So I started calling her. And eventually she got the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. I had no idea that pancreatic cancer is a death sentence. It was obviously pretty tough and she had to have this Whipple procedure. And I felt like this really tough situation because obviously I have a mission to do here, but now my mom's going into surgery and I'm her son and I'm not there for her. And uh, she did have family. I have a very close friend who was a West Point uh, classmate of mine who's sort of an adopted son uh, to my mom who was living in Georgia, who was there. So there was people there, but I certainly felt, as we all have had in, in our service, that pull between our Army family, our Army mission, and our own family. And uh, that was certainly uh, the situation when I found out for the first time that she had that cancer. And over the course of five plus years, um, when your mother was battling this, this cancer, um, what did you learn about yourself in this process? And how did that relationship form between you and your mother? So uh, I was already pretty close to my mom. I became very close to my mom. Yeah. I talked to my mom the last, you know, four or five years of her life. Every day we talked, almost every day. And we became very close. And I remember my mom telling me, she's like, one of the things I love about this whole thing is how close that we've become. And we were just very involved in our in our daily lives. My mom went through chemo three times. All those times that she was going through chemo, uh, I was there with her. Not all the time, but a lot. I would visit her a lot, uh, particularly when she was going through that process. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time with her. We, we spent a lot of time just uh, kind of becoming very good friends. And I was also going through a divorce at the time. And, you know, that was difficult. So I had, you know, my mom is my trusted confidant she's she's my person that i could talk to about everything that was going on and yeah you know i went and, and stayed with her for much of her time in hospice in her last five months to take care of her as she was dying but everything i'd ever gone through in the army and in combat had prepared me for that that final moment with my mom i could compartmentalize all the things that i knew were out in front of us and i could focus on the day I could focus on the tasks that need to be done. I could try to find something joyful or beautiful in the day to share with her every day. We're going to have to take a break now, but when we get back, we'll start our real walk with Kenny across the United States. Have you purchased your AUSA swag yet? Be proud to show your support for AUSA, which in turn shows your support for the U.S. Army and our soldiers. Check out all AUSA swag at shop. We're back with Kenny Mintz, who last year successfully completed a walk across the entire United States. I know you've been asked this before, Kenny, but what made you decide to take this long journey? 
So, a couple of things. I was, as an ROTC brigade commander, I lived on the road for two years visiting my programs. And I'd wake up in the morning to do PT with cadets and be unclear. I can't even remember exactly what town I'm in or where I'm at because it was disorienting. Yeah. And, um, but it was so much fun and it was so different from anything I'd ever done right. in the army before. And I, I was happy to do something different. I was on the road and the song Turn the Page came on. Seeger, Bob Seeger sings it. And I had this like chill run through my body as I was driving my, uh, my big black Suburban. Right. And I was like, you know, this is exciting. It's exciting to go from place to place to place and meet new people and get to know the new, you know, whoever's the administrators and, and, and the professionals that they work with at that different campus and that different town. And, and the idea popped into my head when I retire, I want to walk across the country. I want to have an adventure and I want to do something different. Yeah. Obviously I was dealing with my mom dying from cancer and I was inspired by her journey from Washington DC to San Diego. So that became my, all right, that's where I'm going to start and that's where I'm going to finish. Right. And I was always, even as a kid, inspired by the fact that she just went out and did this, that she just said, well, I have nothing and I'm just going to go figure it out. And obviously over time, as I contemplated the mission, it grew into a whole, you know, why am I doing this? I really did a lot of self-exploration. I, I, I wrote an essay about it. I need to know why I'm doing this because if I don't, when things are really hard, I might question why I'm doing it. Is this something I really want to do? And as I, as I went along with this over time, it focused me and gave me a purpose uh, in a way that that's very different from, I would think, probably most people. There are people that do all kinds of amazing things. Right. This just was my expression of what I wanted to do. So, Ken, you spent seven months walking from the Lincoln Memorial to San Diego, California. Tell us about three people you met on your journey. The most interesting guy I met was in Kansas. This guy pulls up in a pickup truck and has an accent. He's like, you know, are you, I'm, I'm literally in the middle of nowhere on a dirt road. And he's like, are you, you know, are you okay? Do you need some water? And I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm walking across America and I'm just on this road. And he, he's like, what? You're walking across America? So I started, I, I struck up a conversation with this guy. And uh, he's from South Africa and he's on a farming visa working in Kansas. And he uh, told me a little bit about his life, you know, very briefly and and I said, hey, you know, I gave him, I, I always carried around my little Kenny Walks Across America stickers and magnets. I think I gave him a sticker. And I said, hey, check me out on Facebook and Instagram. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm also on the internet. I'm like, oh, really? Well, what, for what? And he's like, well, I am the yodeling king of South Africa. And I'm like, 
wow, really? <laughs> I said, would you be willing to yodel for me? And he said, of course I would. So he got out of his truck. I said, can I video it? And I videoed him yodeling for me out in the middle of nowhere in Kansas is the yodeling king of, of South Africa. I met a guy in, I guess for whatever reason, I'm mostly thinking of Kansas. It's where I probably interacted with the most people. Uh, I met this guy who was a rural mail delivery guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these guys roll around in whatever car they have. Yeah. I kept running into this guy throughout the day. He kept seeing me and kind of looking at me. So I entered this town and he pulled up next to me. And he said, you know, I've been watching you all day. He's older guy. He's probably, you know, maybe late 60s or so. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I told him, you know, about the walk and the causes. And he's like, oh, that's really amazing. You know, I always wanted to be in the military. And I was telling him about a little bit about myself. And he got out of his truck and he shook my hand. He said, really, you know, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. I just, I think it's amazing. And he got in his truck and drove away. And I met this family, um, this woman and two of her daughters, and she has a an for order steak company where you can order steaks online. Mm -hmm. And she had started somehow had started following me and met me in this town and just wanted to meet me and walk just walk through the town with me and tell me about her town. And so we met, and right as we were kind of stepping off together, this guy, mail delivery guy, comes up. And pulls up, gets out of the truck. He's like, here's $500 cash. I want you to put that against that scholarship charity that you're walking for. Okay. Wow. I mean, I, like tears are in my eyes. <laughs> he used just one example. I had people come find me in the middle of nowhere. All over the country. And, and say, hey, I want to make a donation to what you're doing. Ken, what was the hardest part of the journey? The one moment when you took the first step and made the last step in between those two, <laughs> what was the hardest moment? I'm going to be honest with you, Sergeant Major. I, I didn't have it ever have a day where I was like, Oh God, this is so hard. I don't think I can make it. Yeah. I had bad days. I had days where, I mean, you went through the rain, you went through the snow. I mean, yeah, yeah I walked yeah. in the rain. I walked in the snow. No. Yeah. Probably the, the hardest day that I, I probably was the closest to getting run over was, on US 30 in Western Pennsylvania, and it snowed for about three days. Oh, wow. I was like, well, I'm walking down this highway and I'm getting pummeled by passing trucks and snow plows. It was scary. The hardest thing about walking across America is dodging cars. Yeah. Uh, to be honest. And real quickly for our listeners, is there somewhere online where our listeners could go see your path? It's on my uh, Kenny Walks Across America Facebook page, which is still active. Okay. I want to continue to do something with all that. How many pairs of shoes did you go through, Kenny? Eight pairs of shoes. Eight pairs of shoes. Wow. So what type of support network did you have, Kenny? My concept going into this was I needed a driver and a vehicle. And, and the vehicle would be my unsinkable rucksack and resupply and evac vehicle. It's the easiest way to do it. Otherwise, I would have had to figure out places to sleep on the side of the road. And, and I didn't really want to do that for a couple of reasons. I wanted people to come walk with me. I walk with hundreds of people. So I made connection and I needed the van to be able to do that. My daughter ended up 
driving for me the last five months. Up to that point, it was sort of you know a catch you know catcher's catch can of people uh, that I could get. Um, I had a man who owns a trucking company donate the van, and he was a, an associate of, of of a man on the board of the Johnny Mac Soldiers Fund, which is one of the charities I walk for. And so my daughter ended up driving for me, which is really great. My daughter was in a bad place in her life with addiction, um, kind of on the streets. And I convinced her to come out to Indianapolis where I picked her up. And then she ended up driving for me as my support driver the last five months. In the morning, I'd get dropped off wherever I finished the day before. I'd walk throughout the day. I'd have breaks, you know, state, you know, plan breaks throughout the day where my daughter would meet me in the van and I get water and rest and eat. And then at the end of the day, wherever I stopped, she would pick me up. We'd drive to wherever we're going to stay that night, bed down for the night, come back to the, the next day at the same point and continue. And whoever was walking with me would link up with me at some point, you know, at the hotel or wherever we were staying. And, and then and the van facilitated all that happening. And it meant a lot for me to have my daughter with me. It was very difficult. A uh, very huge challenge to have her uh, because she's she was going through a hard, tormenting part of her life, and and to suddenly have to wake up with me at five in the morning and and be out there all day with me every day uh, pushed us. Uh, <laughs> but I'm very proud of her for making it to the end, and I wanted her to make it. And she and I walked in the Pacific Ocean together, hand in hand. That was my dream, and we did it. So this journey really helped you bring you you're closer to your children? I would say to my daughter, Margaret, it did. Yeah. I did have one of my other daughters come walk with me. Uh, my daughter, Emma. So she's my second daughter. So I have three girls and a son. My son is in school. My oldest daughter's working. Mm -hmm. My daughter, Margaret, is the one who's struggling. Mm -hmm. She was in a bad place. But having her with me as part of this mission was as important to me as anything else was in that whole, because when I'm gone, she'll say, that's, you know, that's the legacy is that, you know, we shared this incredible experience and she misses it. She misses being out there with me, even though yeah. it wasn't easy. She, she misses it. You've done this two or three times now. You did this as a, as a young man with your mom, making memories. You did this as a battalion commander, being brave enough to do another mission. You did it as a brigade commander, and you did it across America. And is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we uh, we close out? We live our lives very isolated. You know, we drive in our cars, we're angry, we're in a hurry all the time. Yeah. And it's it's sort of passe to say slow down and smell the roses, but, you know, I got to experience something that's very unique, and that is, I had, you know, I, I got to slow my life down and be a part of our environment. And I found that there's this incredible joy and beauty that you find in just observing and being a part of the world around you. And then having people come and walk with you and talk with you, like I said before, it's in our DNA. It's, it's, it's part of what makes us human. Yeah, It's what we did for most of our human history is move around right? Hunting, moving, hunting and gathering, yeah. going from place to place. Humans occupied most of the earth by walking there. That is part of what we are. And we should accept that and that we need more of it. We need to be physical 
We need to be engaged in our environment. We need to be with each other and connecting with people in a real way. That's very good. I got to do that, experience that, and prove that to myself. That's powerful. Kenny, it's an honor and a privilege. I've, I've never met anybody that's ever walked across America. So this is, uh, this is uh, it's actually awesome. You know, when we came on, I said, boy, you remind me of Forrest Gump. <laughs> Not your physical characteristics or anything like that, just the story of him running. But uh, it's incredible. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I would want to pick out every little story. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Just one final thing before we go. AUSA has 122 chapters worldwide, mainly comprised of volunteers. Moving forward, we'd like to shine a small spotlight on some of them periodically. Today, we'd like to congratulate the Captain Meriwether Lewis chapter for their recent gratitude giving season initiative. Led by President Isabella Colvin, the chapter handed out 1,500 turkeys, as well as gift cards and toys for the Army, the Seattle Recruiting Battalion, and National Guard families. They also included a VIP bus ride to celebrate veterans and families who combined volunteered over 12,000 hours this past year. Congrats to the entire team on this event. Also, this past November 11th, the Greater Atlanta Chapter organized a well-attended spaghetti lunch for active duty soldiers and their families. And yes, if you're wondering, peach cobbler was served. Congrats to Sergeant Major Retired Scarlett Williams and the team there on the event. If you're a member of an AUSA chapter, please let us know what you're up to, and we'd love to give you a shout out on a future episode. You can reach us at podcast at AUSA.org. Hua. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Army Matters is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission, educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and supporters of a strong national defense. Today's episode was hosted by Lieutenant General Retired Les Smith and SMA Retired Dan Daly, an anchor hosted by Carrie Barrow Heckes. Anthony Del Call is the producer and writer, and Andy Bosnack is the supervising sound editor. Unzinga Curry is the executive producer, and the senior producers are Carrie Barrow Heckes and LaSharon Duncan. Special thanks to Lauren Hall and Terry Perriman for their help. Be sure to subscribe to Army Matters wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. As you know, we love seeing stars in the Army, especially if it comes in the form of a five-star review. AUSA's Army Matters podcast's primary purpose is to entertain. The podcast does not constitute advice or services. While guests are invited to listen, listeners, please note that you're not being provided professional advice from the podcast or the guest. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of AUSA. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. I'm Will Sharon Duncan. Hope you have a great Army day. Hua. Cool.